0: are listening to Up to Me Radio, the best and in inspirational talk radio. It's Up to Me. Greetings, welcome to another episode of Call for Caring's the Empowerment Hour. My name is Michelle Bolden, and I will be your guide as we journey through family caregiving together. The Empowerment Hour will bring inspiration, education, and resources to our audience of family caregivers. The tangible information provided can be applied immediately after listening to the podcast. This month, we are celebrating fathers. Today's episode is entitled, It's a man's world, okay, at least for today. Uh, We want to wish all fathers and father figures a very happy Father's Day. Um, You know, when we think of caregivers, we don't often see that image as males. However, there are male caregivers out there, and it's increasing. Um, The ARP Georgia's Caregiving in the U.S. 2020 report show that in two Two within two of five caregivers are men, about 39%. The percentage of male caregivers increased from 35% in 2015 to 39% in 2020 and continues to rise. Male caregivers are male caregivers are often younger. 42% are between the ages of 18 to 42, while 35% are between the ages of 50 and 64. 20% of men are caring for adults. <clears throat> 92% of men are often caring for a relative, like a parent or a spouse. So our guest today will share his caregiving journeys from a male perspective. So I'm excited to welcome our guest today, Alonzo Wilson, who will share his caregiving journey. Welcome, Alonzo.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs>
0: you're welcome. We're excited you're here to give us that different perspective. So, can you start by sharing your background and your current work?
1: Okay. Well, um, my background is in that of uh, architectural drafting, if you will. I'm a designer. Um, I've uh, I journey that kind of I guess you would say, gave me free knowledge about the caregiving journey was always watching my mother as a caregiver, uh care for others. And so I've just kind of, you know, came along that line. Uh, my passions are photography, art, and um, I'm into athletics as well. Okay. I'll leave it there.
0: All right. Awesome. So you mentioned about kind of your role model for caring was your mom. So, can you talk a little bit about your caregiver caregiver journey or journeys? Um, who were the care recipients? What was your role? Were you the primary caregiver, long distance, part time? Tell us how it began, and then also how it's going, or how did it end?
1: Okay. Prior to my, um, you see, the most impactful uh, caregiver part of my journey, um, I had the opportunity as a young man to watch my mother care for others and to oftentimes assist her to care for others, be it family members or persons that she may have been employed under in their families. Um, My journey as as into my adulthood, I had the opportunity to see my brother-in-law care for his father, and which was, was very impressive for me to see a man taking that role and then shortly after that, I found myself caring for my own father for the space of a year, um, to which it was kind of a, you know, they kind of given up on him and, and he believed otherwise and, you know, uh, came and stayed with myself and for the space of a year and he had the old school uh, medicines, if you will. He believed in health and the, the nature, uh, the roots of the garden and things of that. And so he basically uh, taught me in his journey of caregiving, if you will, as he, he did self-recovering, spoke with the doctors following. They were impressed with what he did. Mr. Wilson, continue to do what you're doing. What we would have offered would not have, you know, proven to be su- so successful. Wow. Um, and, that, and that's kind of how my journey has began, just really as a young man watching my mother and then falling into the opportunity uh, with uh, my, my own father. And prior to uh, my main caregiving journey with my mother was she had sat uh, sat down with me on one of my return visits home and asked, son, if I ever were to get ill, will you come and take care of me? Mm -hmm. To which I said, uh, of course, mother, I will.
0: Wow. Well, you know, what you just mentioned about that first caregiving experience with your dad is something that um, we all have to consider because um, your dad was into really what's now called holistic medication, right? And therapy, instead of using the pharmaceutical drugs, he wanted to use things that were growing out of the grass, out of the dirt, et cetera. Correct. So, you know, sometimes for us, that may not be our choice, but for them, that could be their choice. And that's the main thing is that we're honoring their wishes. And Correct. so while the doctors were saying, no, you need to do this, he did his own thing. You supported him in that. And he actually had a better outcome, with, the, with what, better than what the doctors even predicted, right? And Correct. So we have to keep that in mind that as caregivers, that it's their journey. And we just want to support them on it. So they're adults. They can make the decisions about what they want to do. And that was good that you supported that journey um, for your dad like that. So can you now talk about your mom's journey?
1: Okay. Um, (laughs) As I stated earlier, my mother had asked uh, sometime prior to that, should I ever, should she ever become ill and unable to take care of herself, would I then return home and take care of her? And I told her that I would. And, not knowing that the times that I would come home to visit my mother, I would often be in the company of one of my other relatives who was caring for her mother and two of her siblings while working a full-time job and supporting her children and grandchildren. And I found myself you know, questioning, why am I constantly in this environment? And then uh, I got word that my last remaining uncle on my father's side had passed away. Uh, or excuse me, yeah had passed away, and I was returning home to say my farewells to him and Two days later, I found my mother uh at the point of taking her last breath um and that was december uh December eleventh of two thousand and sixteen um, and as 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 a man of faith, as the Lord would have it, he sustained her until Crossing over into 2019, a few hours into 2019, and she wasn't given uh, the opportunity or you know the expectation of life uh, upon them uh, find me finding her in that situation. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was with my mother from the very moment I found her, if you will. Not a day has gone by that I wasn't in her presence until she had taken taken her last breath, holding my hand with a smile on her face. Um, it I was often reminded along my journey with her that you know it was I guess I was being groomed for this particular task, and you know <laughs> i unexpected but i was I was delight delighted to really be there and to do so. Uh, my mother's often taking care of others, she's often taken care of me and of countless others I should say, and then to have the opportunity to be there for her at her time of need, I counted it a blessing and a joy. Um, it, it wasn't the easiest of tasks, uh, being that I had several siblings that I was would have hoped to have stepped up and did more. But um, as I as I journeyed along this way, I, I realized that some people may not be groomed for this or this may not be their particular task but I had been groomed for unbeknownst to me that I was always being groomed for the times that I would come home as I reflect back and then I can see okay so this is why I was being uh, you know enlightened to these behaviors enlightened these you know these type of uh, performances and then I found myself doing the same and but it, it made that journey that much more easier because I in a sense had an experience with it mm. so as I as as I applied some of what I've learned along the way it became much easier and I was able to accept the journey that was before me as my own journey. Okay, so so then in the process, um, my mother spent, I'm gonna say probably six months in the hospital, to which when they, when they were diagnosed, they couldn't find anything which triggered uh, her situation, which caused her to be in the hospital. Um, we as the family we, we you know remained at the hospital by her side every there was in a day that was gone by the while she was there that someone wasn't there um and we found ourselves having to do more for our mother while in the hospital advocating for her uh being that she was unable to speak and advocate for herself and then having the uh, foreknowledge of how she would deal with others that she's often assisted in the hospital. So we kind of had an, an idea of what to expect and what was expected of us. So in, in, in that journey in the hospital, you know, oftentimes I would uh, reflect back on you know, my mother's actions. You know, as we hear the expression, what would Jesus do? I'd often ask myself, what would my mother do in this situation? You know, now that she's on, on the bed, and I would begin to uh, administer that same mindset and, and, and my advocating for her. Um, I did find that, you know, disappointingly that the area of professionalism that we expected was not always offered, uh, but then there was always a ram in the bush that, you know, there would be a nurse or, or staff member that would just come along and either give a word of encouragement or would make sure that we were to question or to you know, ask, you know, certain things. And then I find myself to reaching out to others that I know that we're in the nursing field. Um, I don't know if I'm okay to, <laughs> to say, but uh, one would be your, yourself, uh, Miss Michelle Bowden, that I would often find myself calling on her to, you know, just to share my pain and my concerns and to ask for advice and, and wisdom. And I was grateful that she was present uh, and during this journey. And even more grateful that she, in the time, where she was unable to supply an immediate answer, she was connected to other resources where she can reach out and 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 ask and ask and get back to me and kind of just to know knowing that she was there made the journey you know, that much more easier. And I had other uh, doctor friends that that uh, my mother had adopted along the way, and that you know they were in the in my corner, if you will, and advocating for my mother and and all of that. Um, and. Things my mother progressed well, and things uh, <laughs> kind of went bad as far as word that you know, I, you know, there's there's a mix-ups about the hospitals, and I won't go into that. Maybe, we'll, maybe that'd be a different journey. But I, um, my mother was uh, released rather abruptly uh, when I pointed out she had a cyst, I guess, on the, on the bed sore about the sliver of a dime. And when I pointed out to the medical professionals, they told me not to worry about it, that they'll have, you know, they'll handle it, they'll have one of their professionals be on top of it. And long story short, when they sent my mother home, she had a, a hole in, in her back, in her lumbar area, about the size of a grapefruit, you can actually maul your fist and stick your fist in. And I was able to see my mother's vertebrae, at, at least, you know, three or four, you know, digits of vertebrae, when they sent her home. and didn't send home with any instruction, any any care whatsoever. We did have um, uh, some medical staff come in to assist, but we found ourselves uh, doing all of the work ourselves. Fortunately, I had a, a relative, Miss Kathy Allison, who's a retired nurse, and she was there by my mother's side as well. So she would come into the home, she and her husband, and oftentimes and to assist. And so we definitely had, um, you know, the support, um, that you know stepped up and, and you know that were of medical knowledge and stepped up and really you know gave their best and you know which really aided me in my journey uh knowing that i wasn't doing it alone right. but that i had help that was knowledgeable
0: right and you know i know um as you know your mom came home that you had a full schedule for her almost like she was in the hospital And um, you and everyone who supported us, you did an amazing job with closing up that womb back down to the the size of a dime. So, you know, you did an excellent job with your mom. And I know there were some challenges, you know, while she was there, um, but you all were able to meet those challenges. And, you know, you often had special time with her, like, you know, things you knew that she would like, nails and hair and things (laughs) like like that. So can you talk a little bit about those (laughs) Days you gave
1: her, yeah. So in life, I guess we find that um, some of the things that we experience along the way become a part of our DNA. I found myself not only just being my mother's caregiver, but I became my mother's beautician, her hairdresser, her her her, her um, what do you call it? Uh, um, Man- I, I was doing her manicure manicures, the pedicures. I was her masseuse. Uh, you know, I was her bather, the full nine you know, and you know, from brushing my mother's teeth, it's realizing what uh, music she likes to listen to and her, her morning television shows. And so I would, you know, get up and, you know, whisper in there, good morning, mother, I love you. And, you know, what would you like to hear today? And I'll play some gospel music or, you know, some nice jazz or even some of her more upbeat party music, just kind of hitting on the day. And when the time she was able to get up out of the bed and into the wheelchair, I would you know, use the Hoya list and get her into the chair and sit her in front of the television and start her favorite morning programs and sit there with her. And we'd laugh together, even though, you know, my mother was limited in her ability to, uh, for movement and sound. Um, during this time of her journey, I, I heard my mother call my name, I would say three times. And the time I've had other folk to come and sit in so I can get a break, uh, they would call and say, well, your mother's calling for you. And, but, you know, uh, it, you know, it, it, it was just beautiful just to know. Yeah. Um, but just, just to to hear that. And in, in the times where they were saying that my mother was brain dead, uh, mm-hmm. but all the signs that I'm understanding of brain dead, my mother had none of those signs. So I was believing in the opposite. And Sure enough, I was washing my mother's hair and scratching her hair. I said, okay, mother, I need you to lift your head so I can get to the back of your head. My mother lifts her head above the pillow oh, and I'll begin to scratch her hair back there. Okay, mom, you can go and rest your head. I need to go and wash this out. So she will lay back down, lay her head back down. Then I say, okay, I need you to turn your head here and she'll turn you know, to the best of her ability and, and all of that. Um, one thing I do uh, you know, wanna bring out and know um, as my siblings, the times that they did have to share they were limited in the knowledge, and you know, one of my my eldest brother, he would often, you know, when he come by, he would say, "I don't know how to take care of mother, but if she's okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'll let you have a break. You know, you you know, if you, if mother needs to be fed in two hours, you need to be back here in two hours." Right. And so, mm-hmm. and I would often do that and take off. And I know my other siblings that weren't knowledgeable of how to properly turn mother without causing injury. She had a pick line and everything, so she had certain movements that you weren't allowed to do in certain areas you had to be more protective of. So I had to then teach and train my brothers, if you will, and and even maybe two of my sisters how to properly move mother and, and watching them at first, it was kind of rough and hard for me to see. I'm more delicate, and I have, think I have a greater sense of understanding of you know of the process, but at the, at the same time, I had to lean back. And allow them to care for their mother the best way they could. Yes. And at the yes. same time, just, you know, as, as the old saying goes, sitting in the cut. Right. <laughs> and just making sure that things are proper. And so I would often just sit back. And if I see something is, you know, that's not in order, I would try to properly find a way to communicate that with them without being offensive. And then often off, offer my help. But still allow them to take the lead.
0: Right. And you know, I think I'm sorry, you started off by saying that, you know, everyone isn't able to do all the tasks. Some, some people are just not caregivers. And so it reduces the frustration once we realize that each family member is not going to be able to do everything like you do it right. So they have their own niche, they have their own limits. And so we have to, um, emphasize their skills and use that because when you're focusing on they're not doing it like I'm doing or they're not doing it enough it adds frustration and anger and anxiety and so when we just stop and say okay I know maybe they can only go grocery shopping or maybe they can just sit here with mom but they're not going to change anything and for you there was a lot going on with your mom that you had to do at home you know with the pick line and you know which is a a, a a a temporary line that people use to infuse like, um, nutrition, IV nutrition is what you were infusing. You mentioned a Hoyer lift. So some of our audience are probably familiar with that, which is the big sling that you move people back and forth on. And so it was, it was a lot that was done for her, but you were able to handle it. And so you talked a little bit, about you know, sometimes your family members would come over, others would come over, and it was a lot. So, how did you pull in some of that support to give yourself a minute, even?
1: If if I can, before I answer that last part of that question, if I can uh, lean back forward, um, the area where everyone is not a call co- a caregiver, that was hard for me to understand in begin in the beginning because we are all of my mother's children. That was my mindset. So. I expected everybody to step up, you know, shut the world down, give 100%. And when I saw that they weren't giving as much and I took offense to it, mm-hmm. nonetheless, the work still had to be done. So mm-hmm. I'm doing the work and as best as I possibly can, but I'm also watching them sit around and, you know, in my mind, do nothing. But my, oftentimes my other second eldest brother, he would come and he would say, hey, I don't know what to do. But if you tell me what to do, I'll, I'll aid, aid you with it. And I appreciated that, you know, but then it was like, well, certain things I, you know, the pick line issue and the, the mixing of mother's food and how the, I didn't want them to do that portion of it. So right. and I had to catch myself and say, OK, yeah, well, can you come here and yeah, put your gloves on? Let's do this. And I need you to make sure you turn. You know grab the leg right here and as i pull we both roll at the same time etc cetera, etc cetera. so he's included in the process so whenever he has to tell his story he can say yes i too was able to take care of my mother and i did this and this." Mm-hmm. but often prior to this one particular instance i'm going to lead into i found myself uh rather angry at my family members because they weren't doing what i thought they should have been doing mm-hmm. and one evening, I was sitting up watching Bishop T.D. Jakes, and he had the this analogy. So it was just, as they say, that was definitely for me, my word. He had two maestros, if you will, on, on, on the uh, uh, stage, a young man and an elderly seasoned gentleman both playing Mozart. He asked the young man to play it. He played a ting, 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 ting. And then he asked the the elder, when he it? and he came in and just a beautiful rendition of Mozart. And then he said, now they're both playing the same song, but they're playing it at their levels. Mm-hmm. And then he said, you know, then he had the other young man come in and he played again. So he played it up at the same level as the other gentleman. And then he had the other gentleman, gentleman play it, he played it again, but more added more of a jazz twist to it. He said, still same song, but at their different levels. And then when he said that, it, the light came on in my head. My siblings are doing what they could at their level. Right. And so then I had to, you know, take a back seat and say, okay, I've been wrong for my judging them harshly, but just to have been grateful that they did what they were able to do at their levels, right. just to make sure that whatever their level that make sure that all mother's needs were met and that she was completely covered. So I, I allowed them to stand in to do, but then I had to step back and make sure that, okay, when this is done, not that I'm, doubting what you did but i need to make sure that the bandage is actually you know properly sealed i need to make sure that you know you know so i just kind of you know reassured and you know, each time i'm letting mother know hey I, you know I'm, I'm letting you my other siblings do what they can do you know they they all love you the way they love you and i got it i have to give them an opportunity mother was very cognizant she was aware of what had what was going on but she couldn't necessarily articulate or, or point her finger and say this or that but fully aware um and so the, the time of my receiving aid and a lot of the wisdom came from yourself, Michelle, as I often was thinking, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get it done if, if no one else do it. And, and I didn't realize, yeah, burnout is true. It's real. And I found myself, you know, at one point kind of trying to take care of my mother and having only got two hours of sleep. Now I got to get back up and start her food prep in the morning. And then I found myself kind of, you know, nauseated in the process. And so I, you know, made contact with my relative again and she, she came over her, and her husband and they said, well, here, you can go in the room and get some rest. We'll take care of mother. And I felt, well, she being a nurse, I'm okay. I can rest. And so in doing, so then another family member came by and who was also, you know, a, a, a previous caregiver. So she came by one of my elder sisters, uh, uh, friends, and Miss Donna McCullough, she came by and she would sit with my mother so I can take off and go grab a bite to eat or or just, you know, get a moment of rest. And then, you know, other friends and relatives had come by. And it was, you know, I, I was so blessed by their desire to do so. Mm-hmm. And even though my siblings, I felt, should have stepped up and no one else should have had to have come in, but I was grateful for those who voluntarily came in. And, you know, just because of the love that my mother had showed them in their journey and that this is their opportunity to repay. So I, I was extremely grateful for that, but yeah, I mean, and when I was encouraged to reach out and ask you know, for help, I took the advice. You swallow my little pride, if you will, took the advice and asked for help. And I'm grateful for the help that did come in.
0: An amazing journey. And you, um, it was intense. It was very intense, and for Perfect. any caregiver, male or female, it was a lot of things that you would normally do in a hospital, right? And so, um, and can you tell me about um, when your mom passed? The around the date you started, you said in twenty sixteen, and
1: um, mm-hmm. correct. Yeah, and, and I, <laughs> yeah, started in twenty sixteen. Again, I spent every day with my mother from the day I found her taking her resumed last breath on December 11, 2016, until she actually took her last breath at approximately 5.30 in the morning, 4:35, 5.30 in the morning, of 2019. We had just celebrated the new year coming in, me and my cousin and her husband, who's a nurse, and, and, and uh, before, a retired nurse and her husband, my second eldest sister, and a, a, another friend of the family who's often there caring for the family, uh, Ms. Josette Camel, if you will. Um, we were all uh at the home and had a great time celebrating my mother singing with her and you know bringing in the new year etc cetera, etc cetera. and um um <laughs> uh, after you know we finished celebrating and my cousin and her husband they were getting ready to take off and they had said their goodbyes say goodbye to my mother and and just uh think i got my mother back into her bed you know and they had taken off and I looked down, oops, there's a cell phone sitting here, and they had forgotten, you know, my cousin had forgotten her cell phone, so we picked it up, and I called her husband, and I said, hey, you guys left your cell phone here, and so they turned around, and they came back, and when they came back to pick up the cell phone, while I was walking the cell phone out to the car, uh, Miss Josette had come out to the car, and she said, "Alonzo, you might want to get in here, your mother's having complications. And so then my cousin being right there, and she heard it, so she immediately parked, and we all went back into the house, and then she began to assess my mother and to realize, okay, things aren't too well. So she called uh, the advice nurse and began to speak with them and explain what was going on, and and in the process of explaining, you know, the advice nurse was going through the protocol asking all the pertinent questions, this and that. And she said, well, listen, I'm a nurse. I've explained to you exactly what's happening and she needs, you know, to have a medical uh, assistance, you know, ambulance, if you will, sent. And she began to ask more questions. And then my mother made certain sounds and then the nurse on the phone heard the sounds and then reacted like, oh, is that her? She said, okay, I'll call 911 right now. And um, it has to be a, a divine order, if you will. When I, when I initially called 911 when I found my mother, this particular group of um, amp, uh, medical workers came to service my mother on the very first day I found her and when, the, when my mother when the ambulance was called that evening uh, of, of January of the new year, the same medical group came back
0: mm-hmm. to
1: assist my mother wow. and it was just, you know, a blessing to see them walk in the door and know the care that they and concern they gave her when they first initially met her, and then you know they stepped right in and you know it's kind of you know step requested everybody step aside and they just came in and did the work and we rode off to the hospital with them um, I did if you will and you know they came and you know gave me encouragement when they when they left and uh, my mother was. Um, you know, going through her process of, you know, just trying to, I don't even want to say fight it, if you will, but the, the, the staff was doing whatever they can just to make sure that, you know, they can, you know, it sustain her life if that would be the case. And in the process, um, my mother began to slowly, you know, fade, if you will. And then there was a call from the state of, of Texas, and which was my mother's oldest niece. And when she called, I whispered in her ear, I said, Mom, I said, Ruby's on the phone with you. And when she heard the name Ruby, her monitor just started beeping, you know, just started to move a little bit rapidly. And, and she, you know, got on the phone and, and I held the phone to her ear and my cousin began to speak to her. And, you know, I could kind of hear the conversation and everything. And I'm watching the monitor and I could see my mother. Obviously, she's she's listening and she's, you know, responding is because she's making some groan sounds and everything. So she was responding to her. And then the staff come back in because they are monitoring from the outside. And they come back and say, oh, I guess she's not ready to go. You know, that, you know, everything. So they started working with her again. And then when the phone call, we hung up. Slowly, she the, the monitor started changing. Her pulse started getting more faint. And I think another phone call then came in. And I said, okay, but do you have another phone call? And the same situation happened. And, you know, monitor started with run back up and she began to, you know, make the sounds as she was on the phone and the staff came back in again and they said, Oh, we may as well get her room together. She's not ready to go. And then finally, after that call ended, you know, slowly, she just, you know, began to post, began to slow down again. And, you know, at this time I'm thinking, okay, well, she's trying to hold on because at, I was able to finally make contact with my other siblings through whatever channels I was able to reach. And, um, and I think maybe one of my cousins had made it to the hospital prior to. And so I whispered in my mother's ear, I said, you know, mom, if you're tired and if you're ready to go, I understand. You, you can go ahead and take your journey. And, you know, just kind of saw a smile on her face, and she was holding my hand, and when she had taken her last breath. And that's kind of, you know, how her her journey ended. You know, when I first found her, it was like she was taking a last gurgle before I was able to call 911 and began to do and, and And I would say on that, if I'm going back to the beginning, prior to me finding my mother, I had just taken the uh, CPR course uh, un, uh, under uh, Michelle leadership. So it was good walking in with that knowledge and then was able to apply you know, that knowledge at that moment, me finding my mother until the ambulance got there. But then like I say to hear her taking her last breath when I found her and then to hear her, hear her give her last, last breath up on her, taking her wings, as I would say, it, for me has been a most beautiful journey. And, uh, yeah. so.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, um, awesome. And thank you for sharing that journey. Um, it's a blessing that you were able to be there every day and support her. I know that you did an amazing job taking care of your mom. And you. so, um, I know it was a blessing for you. So I'm happy you have that experience. And I'm happy you shared that with everyone else. And so, what we're going to do, we're going to take a small break and uh, we'll be back shortly. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Dad,
1: your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, but it's just as important to take time for yourself. AARP can help. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
0: Welcome back. We are having a great conversation with Alonzo Wilson. Um, so I want to just jump back in and we talked about the infrequency of male caregivers. Um, as generally the primary caregivers, but we know that there are male caregivers out there as Alonzo is, and based upon the stats we just saw from the ARP um, ARP. so can you offer some words of encouragement or support to some of our male caregivers?
1: Um, the words of encouragement I would say would just be if you should find yourself in that position or if it becomes available to you you know, with a happy heart, I would say, take advantage of, it. you know, for me, being a, being a man, having the opportunity to, I can say, to also spend with my father in his journey uh, of going through the need of a caregiver, for me to be there and give him comfort that, you know, his loved one is the one who's taking care of him. And then also for my mother, you know, as we we always say, you know, that the children are always closest to their mother. and That's most likely true, and predominantly all the cases, if you will. But for I would say definitely for um, uh, any any man to take advantage of the opportunity. I've learned so much in this journey about not only myself, but about life, if you will, mm-hmm. and the opportunity to care and to give back. Um, I, I don't. I wouldn't give anything or trade anything, you know, for this journey that I've had to share with my mother, to be there, to care for her. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, knowing that other siblings, be they male or female, who didn't have or take the opportunity, now that the opportunity no longer exists, there's a void in their life Mm -hmm. that that my life is filled with memories and, and moments of joy, moments of laughter, moments of pain that is so uh loving if you will um you know again i would i would really encourage take advantage of the opportunity if it ever is available to you and even if it even if it's not your loved one and you find yourself desires to you know to share in the caregiving uh world i would say, you know, I would say volunteer to do so right. and, and this there's so much that can be obtained again had i not taken this journey i, I think my life would be that much more emptier. Mm. But because I had taken this journey, I learned so much, not only about myself or about human touch, human relation, but also the industry itself and being in the hospital, interacting with caregivers and having those who've come to care for my mother and them not being fully knowledgeable I found myself teaching a lot of the caregivers, you mm-hmm. know, about certain things that I was knowledgeable because I had someone like Michelle to talk to, or, or my cousin Kathy, or my, my friend, Do- the doctor, John Strickland in New York City, had, had other, other uh, areas of experience mm-hmm. that I then was able to transfer to others. But, you know, again, it's few and far in between that we have male caregivers. Had I not seen, I've I think if I had not seen my brother-in-law care for his his father, it would have been that much more of an uh, emotional challenge, if you will, for me as a man to stand into this role, which we seem to always be, you know, held by women. Right. But because I've already seen for the example that is possible, and it's something to hold your head up about, you know, I took pride in it, and right. you know, and I would encourage, you know, again, any male to do so.
0: That's awesome. You know, it definitely is a very fulfilling experience, as you just said. And so I hope that our male caregivers are listening and to know that they're not alone alone in this journey. We often talk about women who are caregivers, but we do need to spend a little more time recognizing the men who are caregivers as well. And they have often the same journey, you know, often more than not, they're caring actually for a spouse. And that's why I'm thinking some of the numbers are lower for ages because they are in that young Marian age, right? Where they're often cared for a spouse, but whomever it is, um, you know, it's a blessing and, and treasure to do that. So what two recommendations uh, do you have for our caregivers to take? What actions immediately following this podcast would you recommend that they do?
1: Well, <laughs> first thing I would say is breathe. Mm-hmm. Is just really appreciate the journey and just relax. Just it's a part of you. Just just to breathe and to and to walk in it and just to to be grateful that you that you were selected or you were chosen for this task because no one can do it like you but you. Yes. So just breathe and do it. And and if I could, I don't know. Um, you know, there was one thing that uh, I found along my journey that helped. And you know, sometimes I'll go back to it and, and this a book that I saw online and. Um, it's called The Moments in Life, The Caregiving Story, and it's by, um an author is Miss Rhonda A. White. I found myself as I was going through this journey, I would begin to read a particular chapter. And in that chapter, it would speak to the very thing that I was experiencing or feeling at the time. Mm. And it, it was like a pat on the back and it allowed me just to walk through the journey, hold my head back up, and press forward. Right. So if, if you can find, you know, be it a a podcast such as this or or a book or you know just uh, even just to be able to write write down your feelings write down you know any questions that you might have nice. and to do so and one thing I, I would have loved to have had had my mother uh, been able to talk during this journey I would have been able to ask questions of her and and to have recorded her, her voice in answering okay. I, I was able to preserve her recordings that we would interact, you know, we would have over the years, and oftentimes during during the my journey of caregiving for her, I would often say, "Mother, do you remember this?" And I would play back one of the uh, voice recordings that she had left for me, or that I had or that I had responded to with her. Mm-hmm. And having that, um, you know, was again, um, it was an uplift, you know, yeah. for my spirit. So yeah. I would say, you know, again, just breathe and enjoy your, enjoy your journey, find something along the way, be it a book, be it a podcast, be it someone that you can, you know, cry on the shoulder with, or just, and have someone share with you their heart, give you a truth about your concerns, you know, just, but don't bottle up your feelings, get it out, you know, right. and let, and let that pressure be relieved from you. So,
0: awesome. So. Awesome. Now you mentioned one book. Are there any other resources that you would recommend that caregivers follow websites, social media that may help them on their journey as well?
1: Um, well, again, I would <laughs> definitely highlight uh, this particular uh, podcast, the, the call for caring and, and the, the things of, of uh, this nature that are centered around caregiving mm-hmm. and that which would aid in doing so. Um, but if you if you have a friend, you know, or someone knowledgeable such as yourself in that particular area of field that you can bounce things off of, right. I, I think that would be most beneficial to you, you know, because it can get lonely and heavy at the time if you try to go it alone. Yeah. And we often as men, you know, we tend to not want to reach out and, you know, and call out to no one. But I'm grateful that uh you made yourself available and others have made themselves available. And not only am I grateful that they made themselves available, but I'm more grateful that I took advantage of that availability Mm -hmm. and and had some of these uh, burdens lifted, if you will. Wow.
0: Well, thank you so much, Alonzo Wilson, for sharing your amazing journey. Um, And so we wish you and all fathers and father figures a very happy Father's Day. So thank you, thank you.
1: Thank
0: you. Um, And then I want to say a very special Happy Father's Day to my father. Uh, Goes by Daddy, Paw Paw, Pops, Mr. Johnson. (laughs) I'm so blessed for having such an amazing father who provided, loved, and cared for us as children and even as adults. And so he is such an inspiration to so many people and a hero to me. So Thank you, Dad. I love you. Happy Father's Day.
1: Happy Father's Um, Day, Dad. I love you, too. (laughs) Sorry about
0: that. The the Empowerment Hour is presented by Call for Caring. Our organization supports caregivers through resources like today's podcast, expos, courses, and grants. You can learn more or donate to Call for Caring at callforcaring.org. Today's episode can be heard on uptomeradio.com. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and viewed on YouTube via our Call for Caring channel. We hope today's episode of the Empowerment Hour has met our goal to educate, elevate, and empower caregivers during their caregiver journey. Thank you.